0: You're listening so fun fun such a short of time to do this. <laughs> A Mamma Mia Podcast
1: If you want to make out loud part of your routine five days a week we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers To get full access head to mamma forward slash M Plus that's M-P-L-U-S or follow the link in the episode description Mamma Mia!
0: And welcome to mama Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on today's show, the cost of cancellation, the fallout from that Adele interview that didn't happen last November, you might remember it. And Prince Harry wants your boss to give you some more time off. Are we here for him? But first, look, I've found that when the couple become parents, there are a whole a lot of new things to fight about, like a whole lot of new things to fight about. And when those parents split up, which often they do, that can go nuclear. So Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm just not. <laughs> I'm um. so glad you're talking about this because
2: I don't know what's going on, but I know that there's a disturbance in oh, the force. There mm. is
0: a disturbance in the force and usually I'd just be like, just be at it over there. But it's started a lot of interesting conversations in my real life. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today. Little bit of context. They broke up finally, officially in February last year. At first, it looked like things were quite civil. They have four kids between them. They have North, Saint, Psalm and Chicago, who is known as Chi. At first, things were going quite well. They said quite nice things about each other. Kim turned up at one of his concerts. Kanye made quite a few references to how he would really like her back. Things not going so well anymore. Mm. And he said a few very pointed things about her lately on social media. And then last week, he went a bit nuclear. He posted this big screen grab. I'm not sure exactly where it's from, but of him saying... Since this is my first divorce, pointed, not Kim's first divorce. Mm. Since this is my first divorce, I need to know what I should do about my daughter being put on TikTok against my will. So he went on to say that North is eight and she has a TikTok account that she shares with Kim and her and Kim do some, like, cutesy things on there. You know, I mean, Kim Kardashian lives on social media, Mm. so it's not that surprising He then went on to post the guidelines for TikTok and how you're not supposed to be under 13 to have it. He kind of made it seem like he was genuinely asking this question, how do I deal with this co-parenting dilemma? (laughs) Kim responded. She obviously has had enough of the high ground. She said, As the parent who is the main provider and caregiver for our children, I'm doing my best to protect our daughter while also allowing her to express her creativity in the medium that she wishes to with adult supervision because it brings her happiness. Kanye's constant need for attacking me in interviews and on social media is actually much more hurtful than any TikTok North might create. What has gone on after that is many people, and many people have said to me, this is actually happening in my real life. And when I've spoken to Kira Pendergast, who is a social media absolute expert here in Australia over on this glorious mess, the parenting show many times have said that when parents separate, social media has now become something you put in the agreement. Because, really? Yep. Yeah, because if one parent's house says no TikTok, mm and the other parent's house says TikTok, it can cause a massive problem. Say it's daddy's house that has TikTok, because usually it is, to be honest. That becomes more fun, more attractive. And then so you've I got to spell defense this daddies, out. In
2: defence of the dads who've got the TikTok, it's more benign neglect. Like it's more that the dad is not all over it yeah. and doesn't realise the kid's doing TikTok. Not that yeah. the dad's
0: going, hey, Joey, <laughs> let's, let's do a dance. Do a fun dance. So in my house, for example... All social media decisions are deferred to me, which I find very annoying. But Brent's like, you understand this stuff. He's like, You understand this stuff. So when Matilda is mounting her latest campaign, yeah. which she is every week, mm-hmm. for some new app, it's ask your mother, ask your mother. Well, right? it is your job kind of. Well, exactly. It it, it is true because that is, which is also handy because Matilda goes, What would you know? And I go, Well, actually. actually. <laughs> anyway, Bushwalking questions, <laughs> go to Brent. Go to dad. Since this spat has escalated, it's brought in many other things. Kanye's now going on about how he wasn't allowed at Chi's birthday party and how Kim asked him for a drug test and that it's gone next level. But it all started with TikTok. Mm. Is it worth it, Jesse? I could not be more on Kim Kardashian's
1: side. Oh, interesting, interesting. There was something very telling in how Kanye began his rant, which was about North being on TikTok, and he said, against my will it is about control. It is about Kanye feeling like he has power over his Mm -hmm. children. This is not about TikTok or the well-being of anyone. This is about Kanye feeling like he can father from the other side of the country. And I have seen this so much with absent fathers. Often it is, and that sounds like a generalisation because it is, but for example, a dad who doesn't cook but then makes a comment on the nutritional value of the meal placed on the table, you don't get a say. And you don't get a say about how the house is kept if you haven't lifted a finger in 10 years. The fact that he is not the primary carer appears to be God knows where most of the time. He had gone to another property while they were still together, and that was part of their kind of breakup. He's not there. I'm sorry. I don't love TikTok either. Like I think there's a lot to be said and, yeah, a good point to be made about young kids not being on TikTok. Kanye is not the man to make it. you forfeited your right to make decisions about your children when you're not
2: a primary carer anymore. Ooh. I know I'm not a co-host of Cancelled <laughs> but I would like to bring two bits of evidence to the cancellation yes. of Kanye, which I wish you'd do an episode on why Kanye's cancelled yeah, because it's I'm just, all about it. It would be a tempata.
1: <laughs> does anyone
2: remember not that long ago when Kim and Kanye were still married and he gave a concert slash rant just in front of a bunch of people where he said mm. that Kim had wanted to abort Northwest
0: mm-hmm. in
2: front of the world yes
1: I recall that
2: now I think this disqualifies Kanye from having any opinions about what's in North's or any of his children's best or worst interests. I'll say that. The second thing I would say is interesting how when he arced up about her saying as the primary caregiver and provider, he didn't arc up about the caregiver part. He didn't dispute Mm. that. It was the provider because Mm. that's linked to money and that's linked to his ego. And Mm. masculinity. Yeah. And masculinity. 100%. And then the third thing piece of evidence that I'd like to bring to back that up is an interview that Kanye did a while ago. David Letterman had a show on Netflix where he interviewed Mm. celebrities and he interviewed Kanye. It's one of the kind of only real sit down interviews that Kanye did. And he was asking Kanye about, hey, you know, you've got all these kids What's your favourite lullaby to sing to them when you put them to bed? And I will never forget (laughs) the look on his face. It was like he'd been asked to solve some kind of highly complex mathematical equation. Like he didn't even understand... The concept of the question, let alone did he have an answer to it. And in that moment, every woman would have recognised, oh, you've never put any child to bed. You don't even know what that means.
0: And I don't want to be employed in Kanye's defence in this courtroom that we have suddenly established in in the pod studio. But he has rapped in the past that it's nannies who raise the children. He said... I don't have a problem with nannies, but they're doing all the work. Cameras are watching those kids stop pretending that they're not, which must be lovely for the kids to Mm. have this played out so publicly across all of the platforms that they are desperate to get on so that they can make (laughs) cute little videos. But I do think it's interesting that... I was talking to a friend at the weekend who said, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm on Kanye's side. It is so annoying when you Mm. feel differently to your Mm. partner about social media and there is only really, I feel like now, past the age of five, there is only really one big parenting battleground anymore and it's this, right? When your kids are babies, it's sleep training and sugar. But over the age of five, it's just screen time and social media and it can break up friendships, never mind relationships. Mm -hmm. It's like... Do you let your kids do that? Oh, my God, I would never. My kids are only going to look at an abacus until they're 13. My kids are going to live in a hole, and mirror. And obviously, even if you're outsourcing to the max, which I imagine is happening quite a lot in this situation, they have very different views about what kids should be doing with their kid time. Yeah. How do you solve that? I agree. I should say, like Jesse, I'm not advocating for 8-year-olds to be on TikTok.
2: Mm. That's not what this is. This is more about, I mean, I think that's a dilemma for every parent. And I think that this to me also underlined the parent who is not around all the time, trying to make rules from afar that they don't then have to follow through with, or that they don't have any context for. It's a little bit like, you know, if people are at home with their children all day saying, I don't allow my children to have screens, which is fine, but there's a privilege in that because if you're at work, you can't necessarily supervise your Mm -hmm. children all day and you don't know what they're going to, get access to it's
1: also as someone who doesn't have kids I can have views on screen time on what you feed you become so idealistic and you listen I was listening to something recently about how important Mm. it is to have like play and why don't kids play outside anymore like I have any judgments about how parents interact with their children. But the second that you have to spend 24 hours a day oh my with a three-year-old or whatever it is, yeah. I just think you do whatever you need to do to
2: get through the day and you don't get to, like, make a judgement from the outside. Who does get to choose for kids, though? Like, it's interesting. It because is. if one parent, whether you're together or not, is like,
0: I don't think this should be online. And the other parent's like, oh, it's fine. I think it goes to one of those deal breaker situations where who Mm. feels the absolutely most strongly about it because Mm. I have a friend whose husband feels very strongly about television, right? So this is even, to me, that's like a conversation Mm. that I thought we'd left in the past. But they've got a preschooler and he's like, no TV. They're both working, so it's not like she's at home with the preschooler all day, but often when she'd be working at home with the kid or whatever, she puts the wiggles on, she puts yeah. bluey on, she puts whatever on and she has to time it to the minute like and almost coach the kid. We don't talk about bluey. We don't talk about bluey. <laughs> there is no what do you mean, bluey? We've never heard of that. We, Where do, did we she don't get keep that secrets from? except like, for this one. <laughs> exactly. And it's really but he feels so militantly yeah. strongly about it that he would probably go kanye scale ballistic if he found out. So I don't know. I think it's a real proper battleground. Mm. Hi ladies, just following on from Mia's best last week around uh, Botox and wrinkles, Uh, a few months ago I developed Bell's palsy which is a complete paralysis of one side of the face. Um, So I lost uh, any ability to move muscles in the right side of my face which also means no wrinkles. Um, It's been a few months now and I'm starting to get better which means that I have movement and I'm starting to get some wrinkles but that also means now that my facial expressions actually match my tone tone of voice and what I'm saying, which is something I think we take for granted in this amazing thing that wrinkles do. So maybe we should all just uh, take a moment to be really grateful for our wrinkles. Thanks ladies. Absolutely love your work. Thanks. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody anywhere.
1: Speaking of uh, cancellation, there is a really interesting story of sort of what the consequences of cancellation might be, and it's around Matt Doran. Let it be known, if you are going to interview Adele, you better be prepared. You might remember in November of last year, he was the guy who was set to interview Adele right after the release of her brand new album, And he's a co-host of Weekend Sunrise. You'd recognise his face. But basically, it was set to be part of a package that Channel 7 bought, which included a concert, an interview with Oprah and this interview, which was an Australian exclusive, massive deal. And he was sent over to London to interview Adele. But once he got there, it became clear that he had not listened to the album, which was a prerequisite of the interview. Basically, Sony executed their right to say nah, we're pulling the interview, you don't get to broadcast any of it because you didn't live up to your end of the deal. He shared an apology in The Aftermath a few days after, and here's what he said. Because by missing the album link, however I might try to justify it, I've insulted Adele. To Adele I say, I'd never have knowingly disrespected you by deliberately not listening to your work. I am so sorry. I also apologise to Adele's Australian fans and to you, our viewers, who through my error have been denied this interview and the insight into her character. You might have seen the headlines at the moment and thought that it was just a bit of a funny story. It was like, you know, Australian guy makes a boo-boo and that's the headlines. But when you look back, first at the tone and second at the magnitude of the pushback he got. I think it tells a very different story. So the headlines went global. It became about a white male reporter who went all the way to London and didn't even bother to listen to an album. Many reporters and journalists came out and said, I would have killed for that job and here's what I would have done and when I interview someone, this is what I do, and didn't kind of acknowledge the apology or maybe that
2: there'd been a miscommunication it was very. Brutal. He was given no benefit of the doubt, including I think I should say on this podcast yeah, where we, had a, we had a conversation about it, a no woman it. would be unprepared, and
1: we had a conversation about it. And I think that what we did was make it more about blunders at work. I think that was the okay. angle we took. We didn't. We wouldn't have gone him personally. No. And what's interesting is I went through and looked at a bunch of news sites and how they covered it, and it was awful. Like, and I looked and Mum Mail. We didn't write anything because I think that we had a sense a few days on. Mm the pile-on is big, this man has heard it, he's yeah. got it, I don't think we need to add anything to it. And some of the things that I, I saw around was about how it's mind-blowing unprofessionalism. There was a joke about what high school he went to, which is notoriously it doesn't have a great reputation. It became about not investing in good music journalism, white boys falling upwards. It became shorthand for not preparing for something. And this was in a, a legitimate published article online about Listening to their latest work is literally the bare effing minimum of the research you'd undergo. I'm enraged at the fact that any other entertainment journalist would have handed over a limb for this opportunity, and yet it was granted to a bloke who clearly gave zero Fs. It was called Embarrassing for Australia, and it was incessant. Like, it went on for days, weeks, still people talk line. about it.
2: Yeah,
1: This week... Matt Doran was relieved of his duties due to a mental health crisis. The Sunday Telegraph reported that he has checked into a mental health rehabilitation facility and family sources say that along with the ill health of his mother, who has a chronic illness, he lives with her and is her carer, and that's context for when all of this was happening, what what was going on behind the scenes, the recent failed Adele interview contributed to his breaking point. I want to know... Does this make us feel differently about how the story was covered and do you reckon it's time we learn a lesson? Mia, what do you think?
2: Oh, as someone who has been on the brink of checking into hospital after a similar situation in the past, my heart goes out to him. And, you know, it's interesting, we talk about this sometimes, about pylons, and Holloways always makes the really good point that the collective thing is a pylon, but every individual person yeah. who expresses an opinion, you know, depending on how it's expressed, I think there was a legitimate conversation perhaps to be had, but it was more the cumulative nature of it, mm-hmm. the collective impact and the intensity of it and the extension of it from something he did to an attack on who he is. And that is something that until it's happened to you, you cannot understand it. And it's why we do not participate in those things on on Mamma Mia. We don't. And I'm glad you reminded me, Jesse, of how we tackled this because we never would have gone him personally for this exact reason, that we've had insight into it through me and through other people that we know who have also ended up in hospital.
1: And if people think that men like him yeah. or a Hugh Sheridan Because he's or whoever, white and good looking and a man yeah, and
2: successful. Isn't
1: going to feel it. But also that he's not going to listen to what you say and he's not going to read what you say. I mean, yeah. we know what we're all like in terms of negative feedback and almost being addicted to it and needing to see what people are saying. Like everything you put online, it's like assume
0: that person is going to read it and how that's going to make them feel. I feel like we're going to look back at this time, this period in history, in decades to come, and be like, we used to publicly eviscerate people for fun, and you know we'll think about it a little bit the way that now we we think about gladiator days when we used to just happily sit around and watch people be torn apart by lions. Not for
2: fun, whole though, for money. Well, for money because well,
0: for the big organisations for money,
2: absolutely. The, for media companies, we've seen situations where. You get to choose every day, like say we have 20 stories that we do on Mamma Mia, we get to choose what they are and every media organisation, no matter how big or small, has to make that same decision. And the difference in the media now with digital media is that you can have 50 stories within a 24-hour period whereas, and that doesn't even talk about social media, whereas before you might be able to cover something in the newspaper and then by the time it was 24 hours later and then it was the next day's newspaper, the situation might be different and everyone's moved on. But when the same publication, and we've seen this, Mm. can write five, ten
0: stories about the same issue over like two days, that's for money. But we need to take, and when I say we, I don't mean we journalists. I mean we human beings have to take accountability for this, right, because Mm. we get invigorated and excited about these kind of public spats and that is why the media organisations are writing about them. You wait three months, however many months it's been, three months I guess since November, I don't know, it seems like 100 years. Yeah, Watching that apology back, which I did before we sat down today, is a bizarre experience because that man seems half distraught. The wording is so extreme. You're like, mm. you didn't kill anybody. Mm. Like Adele is the most powerful superstar in the world. she I remember she had to come out and comment and say, I didn't want that guy fired. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, nothing terrible happened to anyone. I totally understand the spark of frustration from the average person who goes, look at that asshole who gets to sit on a first-class flight all the way to London to sit down and interview a movie star and he didn't even do his homework. I understand that but then you pile on, you pile on, you pile on, you pile on, we have completely lost perspective and it's really interesting. I was going to reco it at some point but at the weekend, ironically, I watched Aziz Ansari's new special and he's a famously cancelled person who mm-hmm. Mia and I often love to have a bargee about. Mm. It's only 20 minutes long, which is awesome. Oh. He does this very excellent part about exactly this, about the collective enthusiasm we have for suddenly throwing a lot of shit at somebody and then how we've moved on in two weeks. We all know that. And it's a really big challenge and responsibility for the media to try and sit outside it. It's a little bit, we were talking about it a little bit last week when we were talking about Gladys Berejiklian and what she said about the Prime Minister and then what Kyle Sanderland said, said about that and then that's all anyone talks about, 48 hours. And it's actually very difficult to hold yourself outside mm-hmm. it. And as Mia said, as a media organisation at Mamma Mia, we try and do that. But also our tagline is what women are talking about. And today women are talking about the fact that Matt Doran, has had to check himself into a mental health facility. So it's worthy of conversation. Mm. But it's just this intense amplification because really what happened here is I also read back what his boss said at the time, the Seven West – media CEO, James Warburton, he said it was a massive stuff up. He said, you know, it would have been great for us to have that exclusive. We paid all that money. Everyone watched the Oprah thing, but that would have been good too. But he said, look, Matt's a pro. He'll get on with his job. He said he has two choices, to collapse in a heap or get on with his job. Now, Mm -hmm. even that in itself is kind of a real like man up, mate. You made a mistake, front up, get on with it, which I imagine is what Matt Doran was trying to do. But it's impossible, as you've so articulately said me many times, to understand what that man feels like at the bottom of that. So it's not really about him. It's not really about no. whether or not he's a bit entitled that he didn't do his job properly or this or that or whether there are better people for that role. It's more about sometimes we should look at what we choose to get so incensed about. And
1: it's not about, oh, but there's no such thing as cancellation because that man still has a job. I don't think that's what people are talking about often when it comes to cancellation, it's can we please acknowledge there is a personal toll to your vitriol and that it is often coming, the vitriol, the criticism, the bombarding is coming from people who advocate, who are the first ones on Are You OK? Day to put up a tile and go mental health, mental health, this is my mental health journey. And then they will contribute to a culture which has produced you know, endpoints such as Hugh Sheridan, who ended up in a mental health facility, Caroline Flack, who ended her life, and Wilson Gavin, who is the young liberal who ended his life days after this. And of course, you cannot draw a straight line between an event and mental illness. It is a lot more complicated. The fact he has had a really ill mother for a long time, and he's been looking after her, I'm sure has contributed. But this is, I think, a much bigger story about, as you say, looking in the mirror and going, "We have a lot to answer for." Mama Mia, out loud! Come on, let's talk about royals, please. Let's talk about Harry and Megs. Let's talk about all the good things and the good things that make them.
2: Let's talk. We originally about had this royals. segment let's talk about <laughs> under the let's title pufferfish. Fish." Royals. Because I came into the morning meeting this morning and went, I'm puffer fish. And if you're new to the show, a puffer fish is when something incenses you and you puff up like a puffer fish. It's from Hannah Gadsby's stand-up special, Douglas. Anyway, I was going to be puffer fish about Prince Harry, but after that segment, I'm going to just rethink my tone. <laughs> <laughs> See, we also need to look in the mirror yep. and hold yes. ourselves accountable yep. at times. We do. and And it doesn't mean you can't have critical thought, but you just need to maybe tone it down a little sometimes. Prince Harry said something that I think is actually quite interesting. The context is that in March of last year, he started one of his several new jobs in his and Meghan's new life in LA after leaving the royal family. And he was announced as the chief impact officer of a new mental health app called BetterUp. And last week he was involved in a virtual panel where he had a few things to say about the importance of looking after your inner life. Here's what he had to say.
1: Mental fitness is the, is the pinnacle, is what, you're, is what you're aiming for. And the road towards that is, it can be really bumpy. It's called in a work for a reason. And I think that immediately might put some people off going more work. It's like, right, but the outer work becomes so much easier once you once you get to grips with the inner work and then everything starts to fall into place.
2: Now, he stated as part of this panel that he devotes around 45 minutes every day to practice meditation, which he said he started after burnout and uh, burning the candle too much at both ends. And he's calling on employers to actually factor it into Work time. And he said, it's so important for employers to say, if you have the chance to do it in your own spare time, that's fantastic, but we're going to factor that into your routine at work. And he said, if everyone was doing that, then the shift in global consciousness and awareness would be enormous. And he said, if you're a business leader, it's for your employees as well. And, you know, cue the predictable backlash about, well, that's easy for you to say, spoken like a man who has never owned a business or had a boss, that's not always practical or feasible. I was reading the book that Jesse recommended called Stolen Focus by a guy called Johan Hari, and in it he talks about how our its collective attention spans are getting shorter. And as part of this book, he talks about this one company in New Zealand. The boss was reading about productivity and how most workers, because they're constantly switching tasks all through the day, are actually wasting a huge amount of time. And so he decided to try something quite controversial. He said to his team what we're going to do is we're going to have a four-day week. You're going to get paid still for a five-day week, but we're going to have a four-day week. And what I want you to do, and we're going to measure it all, is to just show me that on those four days, you can have 45 minutes of more productivity each of those days, and then you can have the other day off to do whatever you want. You know, Focus on your mental health, spend time with your kids, take up a hobby, learn a language, start a side hustle. It's up to you. And what he found was that productivity increased massively. So they took what was a two-month trial, studied all the data and went, we're going to make it permanent because even though it sort of sounds quite LA and quite woo-woo, mm. this idea of, okay, now we're going to stop and have consciousness raising, the idea that people can actually be more productive and that it's good for capitalism for people to have a bit of time and space away from work,
0: hold, does that ring your bells? It really does in terms of, I mean, I've been, like many of us, I've been trying to meditate for 100 years, right, and I'm absolutely shit at it. But I have been told by people who know it that that's the point in a way is that it's the point. Mm -hmm. But taking that time out that Prince Harry says is supposed to improve your focus. But I think... That we are so not there yet, which I guess is what Prince Harry's talking about, right, is that we're still trying to be everything all the time and trying to look after our mental health and our good space while also being the best employee we can and being cross 25 things and making sure we haven't said anything that might upset anyone on Instagram, making sure the kids aren't on TikTok and all those things that we've been talking about today, all at once that's pulling us so thin. The thing that I found interesting about what Prince Harry said, and God bless him because, like, he's really trying so hard to be Mm. a new version of himself and have a really positive impact, which I have a lot of respect for. But as somebody who watches his old world, I just think how opposite it is. And I know that taken out of context, this doesn't sound right, but he said, wouldn't it be great for bosses to say, everyone's going to have today focusing on themselves? And I know what he means. He means like Mm. bettering yourself, improving your mental fitness. But I was thinking about the Queen and how she is yesterday. I think she celebrated her Platinum Jubilee, which is 70 years on the throne, right? And I was imagining her thinking what we all need is to spend a little more time focusing on ourselves. (laughs) Like I would bet almost everything I have – that the Queen thinks the world would be a lot better, a much better place if we all spent a bit less time focusing on ourselves. (laughs) I know that sounds judgmental and I don't mean to come at it like that, but it's a massive generational shift, Mm -hmm. this idea of like, stop navel gazing, stop obsessing about what your most productive day looks like and how Mm -hmm. much time you need to do this and this and just The Queen has spent 70 years, and I know that she's an insanely privileged person, but everyone who has any proximity says that she works incredibly hard and she sees her role as being a calling that is, you know, for other people and for a nation and for God and all the stuff that she believes in. It's not about her. That's the way she sees the world. We can't handle that idea at all. How often do you see the Queen smiling
1: or having a giggle? Like (laughs) not much. And this is Prince Harry is indicative of a generation that has grown up and gone, glad you're all working really hard. None of you look very happy, and I don't want this. Mm-hmm. He has a point. He doesn't look very
0: happy either. And that's
1: what a lot of people said is that I have never heard of a sadder man than Prince Harry, and he <laughs> appears to be doing a lot of meditation. But <laughs> he has a point. The point is that employers can't ignore a little bit of responsibility when it comes to the mental well-being of their employees. I think that is a, a new age idea that is fair. It acknowledges that mental illness and issues with mental health can be systemic and can come from a workplace that can place ridiculous standards on employees, whether that's, you know, really long hours, always being on call, bullying, sexual harassment, all of those things. I completely appreciate that that's true. And I I think, you know, COVID, a lot of people have said, I can't believe how much happier I am now that I can work my own hours. Maybe people are working less hours, but they're more productive. That's a good thing. Where I don't agree with him entirely is that everyone is going to get mad when you say that meditation is the answer. Because in fact, those two things are at odds with each other. It's a very neoliberal idea to put it on the individual and go, if we all just meditated for an hour a day, Mm. basically we would have no issues with mental illness. That isn't true. Go and spend five minutes in a mental health ward, a COVID nurse who is burnt out, meditation ain't going to fix that. That's a systemic problem. So I think it's a two-pronged approach like yes self-care whatever that even means anymore is important and going for a walk might help but there are lots of people doing the walking and the meditating and everything they're meant to who feel like shit and so it is a much bigger issue
2: I think the part of the needle he didn't thread which was a really lost opportunity was joining those two things up by saying mm. he said if you're a business leader it's for your employees as well what he needed to do is say if you're a business leader it's going to make your employees more productive yes, yes. to have more time. Just like that that guy who did it with his company in New Zealand found, you've got to say that there's something in it for the business yeah. leader or for the mm. employer because you can't make employers necessarily responsible for everybody's mental health all the time or the fact that some people have boundaries or some people have stress at home. But you need to sell it to the employer by saying this is actually going to be good for everyone. Because,
1: you know, 100 years ago, when whether it was agriculture or you're working in a factory, like your body was sort of the capital. Now the mind is the capital. That's our intellectual capacity and our ability to focus is how money is made for a lot of us. And in that case, it is in the best interest of an employer to take care of that. To protect it. If I was Doran and I kind of heard this, I'd go, there is an element when you say just meditate and go for a walk on the beach They can feel a little bit pull your socks up, which I don't think is helpful.
0: Did you hear about Queen Camilla? Just very, very quickly
2: because I know we're talking about
0: serious things. Holly needs to explain that to me. But as her jubilee present to Charles and Camilla, uh, the Queen has announced that when she goes and Charles is king, Camilla will be queen consort and that is a shift and everyone's very excited about it. And when Charles did his post, happy jubilee mummy post the other day, he said what an honour it was because she'd been by his side through thick and thin and all the things. So she is going to be queen consort Camilla. A quick recommendation
2: before we go. I watched a documentary on Netflix that is trending at the moment. It's called The Tinder Swindler.
1: Everyone is messaging me saying I need to watch this. Tell, Tell me to watch why. it. Is it crimey?
2: Um, yeah, it's a doco. Mm-hmm. No one dies. You'll be no. sad to hear. But <laughs> um, it's about a guy who basically swindles all these women on Tinder, makes them think he's a billionaire, has relationships with all these women. The spoiler alert is in the title. <laughs> yeah. He's not really a billionaire, but it's how he does it and what happens after they find out that is so compelling. It goes for about an hour and a half, but the end is quite shocking and, yeah,
0: it's, it's great. It's truly really great. The Tinder Swindler on Netflix that is all we've got time for today. Now I'm just going to give you a little teaser about the fact that tomorrow's subscriber segment which is where we put an extra segment um, just for Mamma Mia subscribers there's a link in the show notes that takes you there is going to be our little debrief about and just like that the finale because I know many of you want to talk about it I I want to talk about it. I have a very unpopular opinion about that. Can't wait to hear it. That's going to be tomorrow's subscriber episode Thank you for listening to this episode It was produced by Sydney Peed and the executive producer is Eliza Ratcliffe. We'll see you on Wednesday. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Mama Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.